Blog Talk Radio. It's the Speedway Show, an idea exchange empowering you to live well, live fully, and love deeply. And now, here's our host, Speedway Pierce. Well, hi to all of you. My name is Speedway, and thank you for taking the time to join us for another episode of our Successful Relationships Series, an idea exchange for a different kind of conversation about what makes relationships tick. Now, as you can tell by the introduction, we are talking about adult topics, so please exercise your discretion if you have young ears around. You can catch this or any other past show at any time by visiting the website, blogtalkradio.com slash and scrolling down to the on-demand shows. And as a matter of fact, just uh, keep your eye out because uh, within the next uh, couple of months, we're going to be launching the com, And uh, we'll let you know all about that when that happens. If you would like to join us on the face, uh, on Facebook, look for the fan page, The Speedway Show. And uh, if you like, uh, if you click on like for that page, then uh, you can chime in on discussions that we have on that page and you can participate and you can also get updates. In the meantime, if you would like to follow the show, you can just click on the blue icon under my picture that says follow at blogtalkradio.com slash speedway and you will receive future show updates that way as well. And uh, if you'd like to follow me on Twitter, my handle is the speedway show because, boy, it's an amazing thing how much technology has broadened the ways that we can communicate. The topic today is, I knew we had problems when. One of the lessons good managers and leaders learn in business is that people don't change that much. So good managers are encouraged to spend less time trying to fix their employees and more time focusing on their strengths and finding ways to minimize the negative impact of their weaknesses. In personal relationships, it is also often true that people don't change that much. If you have been in a relationship for a while and are feeling annoyed by your partner's flaws, think back to the beginning of your relationship. Can you honestly claim that this person has changed or has he or she been the same all along? Did you simply ignore the flaws uh, or did you refuse to see them? Did you excuse them and where do you go from here? If you are not in a relationship, how do you identify red flags that might save you pain and suffering later on? Give us a call if you want to join in the discussion, 877-560-6033. Again, 877-560-6033. If you have listened to past shows, you will have heard me say, everyday people, everyday lives. You don't have to be a celebrity to be a guest on the show because we all have everyday joys and challenges in our relationships. So to chat with me today is my friend Ken, who is calling in from New Jersey. Ken, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Speedway. So often when a relationship goes wrong, what do we typically like to do? First, we feign surprise. Oh, my gosh, I can't believe that this happened to me. And uh, this man did such and such. This woman turned out to be so and so. Sometimes you get to walk away from the relationship, and sometimes by then you get to um, that point where you're deeply committed, you built a life together, you have kids, you got pets, you got property together. So it's not so easy to walk off, even if you would really like to. And most people I know have days when they would really like to be able to walk off. But what do you think about this? Uh, I want to suggest that many times the signs were there from the beginning. We either chose to ignore them, Maybe we didn't understand what they meant, uh, or maybe we even excused them and convinced ourselves that uh, perhaps we could fix them. Ken, do you think that's true? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that, you know, it's so difficult to find a compatible partner. And when you finally meet someone you really care about, you sometimes want to gloss over some of the flaws that are there. Um, so, you know, we sometimes we ignore the obvious signs. Mm-hmm. Now, Ken, do you read a life manual? Uh, no, I do not. Do you believe in God? I most certainly do. 
Well, um, I tell people this and they laugh at me and I say because fish have two eyes. And what that means is that, you know, you look at people and animals and all the uniformity throughout life. And to me, that's a sign that there's intelligence in the design of, of living things. And to me, that means that God is present. Well, I can certainly agree with that. Uh, callers, if you'd like to talk, uh, tell us about your life manuals, give us a call, 877-560-6033, 877-560-6033. So let's talk about red flags, and uh, I'll kick off our discussion with what they are. So on this show today, we're going to talk about uh, red flags in a couple of different ways. We'll start with just talking about what flags might one encounter in one's life and what they might sometimes look like. And uh, Ken and I are going to chat about some of the more common ones that uh, people seem to uh, encounter. And then we're going to talk about why. Why do we ignore our red flags and how do they trap us? And then finally we're going to talk a little bit about uh, what you can do about your red flags and, and how you might be able to address them. Uh, whether you are in a relationship where you can leave or whether you're in a relationship where you are committed and cannot leave or perhaps should not leave. So the first one that um, uh, meant a lot to me when I heard it was, um, you know, it, it was Maya Angelou who said, you know, someone, and I'm not going to get this quote exactly right, but it was something like, if someone tells you who they are, believe them. And um, so sometimes, you will find that your beloved, your, you know, the person of your dreams, tells you certain things. And maybe they might tell you stories about uh, their past. So if you are interested in a man and you, you figure out through his conversation that he was a marauder in his past life and, you know, he hasn't been faithful to any of his girlfriends, he wasn't faithful to his wife, and he's not faithful to any of them since, you know, that might be a hint that perhaps you're probably not going to be able to change him. Um, if he was in a significant or long-term relationship like a marriage, um, does he own responsibility for the demise of the relationship? If it was all his ex-wife's fault, that might be a red flag because this might be the kind of guy who is not going to take responsibility, and maybe that means he hasn't learned very much from his last relationship, and maybe that means he might uh, make the same mistakes in the next relationship. Uh, Ken, do you think that that's accurate? Is that a fair barometer? That's just this is just my opinion about people telling you what they what they think. Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, you know. When you're in a relationship with someone and they're telling you something and it's it's you know you have to really be very careful to gauge what they're saying and and if and you know you have to use your gut to gauge to make sure you understand where they're coming from and and their character. I think it's a very important part of deciding if you want to be in a relationship with someone mhm and um you know other things that you might find is you know he might be open about his uh, past activities, or you know, he, maybe there was some domestic violence in, this pa in his past, or maybe uh, he might have some addictions or some, you know, um, symptoms of addictions that he tells you about. But you know, I think at the end of the day, one of the best ways of identifying red flags is just just listening. And um, you know, another one might be that uh, you're, you're you find that. You know, you've got you've got this woman that you're interested in, and maybe her ex is still hovering around. Ken, what do you think of that? Well, you know, that's that's actually a very interesting uh, uh, situation because you know, you get to a certain point in your life, it's it's likely that there will be an extended family or a blended family situation. So clearly, if you, as a guy, I mean a woman, and she has a child from a prior marriage or a relationship, I have to be aware and cognizant that she will have her ex around, and I expect that to be the case. And I dated a woman once who uh, had a relationship, a good relationship with her ex, and the, her ex had a good relationship with their child. And I told her, I said, you know, um, you know, the child comes first. Uh, you know, I know we have a relationship, but it's very important that if you need for him to be with her or make arrange, arrangements or whatever, I'll do whatever I can to make that uh, work. Now, the issue is, is that a healthy relationship, meaning a relationship that 
is over and is about parenting, or is it a relationship that's lingering because there's still some unfinished business? I think if there's unfinished business, you really have to ask yourself, is that something that you want to be involved with? Um, you know, sometimes people split, but they don't really split. They have sort of continuing relationships. And, you know, if you're putting yourself in that scenario, you have to ask yourself, do you want this? So I think, again, you have to follow your gut. I think you mentioned that earlier, Speedway. You have to kind of listen and hear and just follow your instincts and, and, and see if there is any behavior that's inappropriate. Are they texting each other constantly? And if, and if it's about something other than parenting, is, is, do you feel that that's a, 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 something that you feel comfortable with? And I think you should be able to speak with the, your partner and she should be or he should be open about discussing this. Now, in a scenario in which there is uh, no child and the ex is still around, that definitely is a major red flag. I mean, that to me does, does not make any sense whatsoever. That sounds like a couple that has a lot of unfinished business, and unless that's going to be for a specific reason other than romance or emotion, you really probably make need to you know make a hard decision about whether or not you want to be in that relationship. So would you not believe a woman who said to you, "Well, you know, that's my ex, and and we're just friends because you know I I, I don't believe in necessarily." Um, being ugly with somebody just because we're not dating. Would would you believe a woman who said that to you? Well, you know, honestly, I I tend to give people the benefit of the doubt until they prove otherwise. I mean, I am divorced, and I have an excellent relationship with my ex-wife. Now, we have children. Our kids are a little older, but I have an excellent relationship with my ex-wife. And I've been in a situation where I've met women, and I said, hey, I have a great relationship with my ex-wife, thinking that would be a positive but, you know, going off in tangent a little bit, it would actually be a negative because they were jealous about this relationship I had with my ex-wife. But I believe that if someone told me that, uh, you know, I think you have to take it at face value until they give you a reason to not believe it's a true statement. Okay, so it's it's not something that, that would automatically for you be something that you'd run from necessarily. Absolutely not. I think kind of depend. Yeah, in, in this day and age, I think it's becoming the norm. I mean, marriage is is actually not the common uh, way relationships exist anymore. Uh, there are less married people in the United States than there were, you know, 30, 40 years ago. So people are now in these blended scenarios. I think you have to be able to adapt to what what's going on in, in life. So I think it's important to gauge the situation for what it is and, you know, you have to have an open mind and give the person the opportunity to show you what they're about. So this takes us to flag number three, which is actually, um, you know, this is a good segue, Ken, because flag number three is about lying, right? So, and it's a good segue because there isn't necessarily black and white, just like there isn't black and white when you've got somebody who has a past relationship with their ex-spouse or the ex-girlfriend, Um and it's 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 not a black and white kind of thing because not every lie is a red flag because you know the truth is most people are uh, most people are inclined to lie about something at some point. Um, I happened when I was preparing for this show. I happened upon a CBS report where um, CBS reported the survey that was done by the Science Museum of London, and uh, they talked to three thousand British people about their truthfulness. And on average, they found that men admitted to lying about three times a day, and women admitted to lying about twice a day. And you might not be surprised to hear that, but these men and women admitting to lying, you know, most to their mothers, and uh, the top lies to their partners were a little different. So um, in order, the first, the most common thing that men lied about apparently was that they didn't have too much to drink. Uh, lie number two was nothing is wrong, I'm fine. Number three was I had no signal on my cell phone. <laughs> number four was it wasn't that expensive. Number five was I'm on my way. Number six was, well, I'm stuck in traffic. Number seven was, no, your butt doesn't look big in that. Number eight was, sorry, I missed your call. Number nine was you've lost weight. And number ten was it's just what I've always wanted. And for women, it was really not that different. It was it was it was a lot of that same stuff, except 
they added, you know, the first lie that they told is nothing's wrong, I'm fine. And um, probably anybody who's ever been in a relationship with a woman can resonate with that one because you can see it's not fine. Um, and let's see, was there anything else they lied about? Oh, yes. Uh, number five for women was, I've got a headache. And number six was, it was on sale. Number eight was, oh, I've had this for ages. And uh, number nine was, no, I didn't throw it away. And so you can you can just sort of read between the lines there for what's going on. 78% of the people surveyed said it was okay to lie if it was to save someone's feelings. And uh, all of them, uh, all that to say that, you know, not every lie is a deal breaker, but there are are big and there are little lies about certain things that I think, you know, do become red flags, like if he's lying about where he was last night, for example, uh, if he's lying about who that woman was who was yelling at him in the background when he was rushing to get off the phone with you, if, um, you know, the call suddenly gets short when you walk in, uh, the call suddenly gets cut short when you walk in the room, um, or maybe he's lying about uh, the existence or the number of previous marriages or previous children. Um, Ken, are there any other things that you can think of that for you would raise a, a red flag if a woman lied about? Well, I'll, I'll tell you a personal personal story, if I may. Mm-hmm. I met a woman on a major um, dating website, which is known for marriage, and yeah. their policy is that if if you're married, be it separated or in the process of getting divorced or whatever, you are not permitted to be on the site. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I met her on the site, and you know, specifically looking for a, a committed, compatible relationship. Well, we communicated uh, for some time, you know, via phone, via email, etc. And then we met. She said, "By the way, I am married. I am." separated i've been separated for eight years but i am married at that point it really should have been a red flag for me however i was sort of connected with her emotionally so i figured oh, okay she'll she'll get divorced in uh, a year or so and you know we'll go on our merry way well mm-hmm. it turned out that it didn't work out that way um you know it became a problem and then she started to define the relationship so i would say that you know a major lie would be if someone claims they're single or presents themselves as being single when, in fact, they're married. Well, and I'm starting to think that maybe that is kind of um, one of those common things. And maybe it manifests itself either in people who are married uh, claiming that they are single or people who are perhaps even in in live-in situations or intimate situations with somebody else. Uh, And maybe, you know, for whatever reason, maybe it's not going that well they are out in the marketplace and they're they're dating and holding themselves out as if they were single. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things that I, I find I hear uh, quite commonly, and I actually dated a man who, as it turned out, was, you know, still living with his last relationship. And, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a little befuddling. You, you know, your situation is different because at least, you know, they might have been, Married, but at least they weren't living in the same household. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, that doesn't seem to be a terribly uncommon red flag. And uh, we'll talk a little bit later about how how you can sort of ferret these things out when they they start to kind of come out at you. So, now, Ken, you said earlier that you don't read a life manual, and uh, mine just happens to be the Christian Bible, and I'm wondering... If, nonetheless, you might have ever heard of a man by the name of Samson, who um, appears actually in the book of Judges in the Hebrew and the Christian Bible. Well, I have a cursory knowledge of the story, but I am not uh, very well versed on the story of Samson. I know he was a strong guy. Yes, he was a strong guy. As a matter of fact, that was uh, probably one of the, the trademarks. In fact, that was the trademark of his life. So for all you listeners out there who may not be familiar with the story of Samson, and and the reason I'm telling you the story is because Samson had some red flags that he ignored that were really huge. And uh, I have some clips about about Samson today that I want to share with you. So now Samson was was an Israelite, and he was born at a time when God had allowed the Israelites to be delivered into the hands of the Philistines because they were, you know, generally disobedient and they were worshiping other gods and doing terrible things. And this was after they 
um, had been, you know, delivered into the promised land out of out of slavery with the Egyptians. So God was not really pleased with them. So um, he did decide, however, that he was going to be merciful and he was going to deliver them from the Philistines because they're always being attacked. And um, so an angel appeared to us, to Samson's parents and told them that, you know, Samson was going to come and he would have this supernatural strength and he was going to save the Israelites from the Philistines. That's what he was purposed to do. So he indeed grew up. He was very slow, He was very strong, and uh, at one point he, he slayed a lion. He slew a lion, slayed, slew. He killed a lion with his bare hands. And uh, he killed an entire army of Philistines at one point with, with the jawbone of a, well, the Bible says the jawbone of an ass, but we'll say the jawbone of a donkey because that's, that's what they meant. And, uh, but Samson uh, had a weakness for women, and so he ends up marrying a Philistine woman whose name was Ronnie. So Samson was married twice, and uh, so his first wife was Ronnie, and uh, now his mom saw this red flag and, and said to him, you know, it, this woman's going to betray you. She, she, she's from the enemy tribe. They hate us. They hate, they're going to hate you. She's going to betray you. He doesn't believe her. He marries the woman anyway, and uh, this one day comes along when he asks the Philistines a riddle. She uses her wiles to get the answer out of him. Uh, she tells her people. They solve the riddle. He gets mad, and he you know, basically kills and pillages and kills a bunch of people. Then he goes home to Israel. And uh, so what you hear now is his state of mind when he got home to Israel. Samson led his people as a judge. Yet in his heart, the dark desires of man still sought to hold sway over him. The desires of the flesh and the flame of revenge had not been quenched. During all the time of peace, when he stayed with his people, two flames burned low in him, but were never extinguished. The flame of lust and the fire of revenge. So, poor Samson, if you didn't catch that part because of the background music, so he, he's got the flame of lust and the fire of revenge burning inside him. And sometimes, you know, part of the reason we find that we fall victim to red flags is because of what's going on inside of us that we are either unable or unwilling to see what's going on around us. It is the Speedway Show today, and we are talking about red flags. Our title for the show today is I Knew We Had Problems When. Give us a call if you choose, 877-560-6033, and um, tell us about your red flags. So this takes us to uh, red flag number four. So you just heard this clip that uh, Samson was struggling with, you know, Revenge, his desire for revenge against the Philistines as well as his lust for women. And uh, what you know is that that probably wasn't going to lead to a positive outcome. And one of the flags that um, this might lead a person to when they've got unresolved issues with their past is anger. And this isn't anger that erupts in, for example, domestic violence or, or anything obvious like that. It could be um, anger that is just sort of the slow, steady hum that's sort of in the background that, that you hear when somebody talks. And um, it could be that, you know, he, he just sounds like he's, he's angry about things that are going on at work. He might be angry about his past relationships. Maybe he hasn't forgiven the ex for whatever he feels that she might have done to her. Um, maybe even his family. Um, sounds like they're they're at odds, and maybe he is 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 angry with some of them. Or it sounds like he's you know he's taking very personally certain things that, for you, you might listen to and go, yeah, well, you know that happens in every family. Suck it up and and move on. Um, or maybe you know if this is a great part of the relationship, you're you're feeling quite sympathetic and thinking why you know that family of his might not be very good. But if he's if it's if it's something that is a recurring theme, then maybe you might have a red flag. And and this I'm just using anger as an example. Um, Ken, are there any other qualities that for you you might identify that would kind of be red flags in that way where you keep sort of hearing the same maybe it's possessiveness or jealousy or some other theme that you keep hearing when you talk to someone? 
Well, yeah, actually, I want to touch upon anger a little bit. Um, you know, these are, you know, lust and anger, these are very instinctive type of emotions that we have as human beings. And it's a very low level of existence. I think... You know, we all know when you first start relationships, they're wonderful and great because everyone is in that higher creative state of emotional bliss. And then oftentimes, not all, all the time, but oftentimes as relationships go on, they kind of go down to a more emotional and sometimes instinctive level. Uh, I dated two women who basically thought that the concept of anger and confrontation were, you know, that's okay, I'm all about that. And I said, well, gee whiz, wouldn't it be better to resolve conflict in a more creative way so that you can kind of exercise your abilities to come up with a solution that's mutually beneficial? But, you know, their position was, oh, anger is normal. It's a normal, normal human emotion. And, you know, and I'm like, you know, so anger and that kind of existing at that lower instinctive level is definitely a red flag. If you sense that someone is exhibiting that behavior, in my mind, it means they haven't developed a skill of learning how to, to control their emotions. And I think controlling your emotions as an adult clearly is an important skill to have, certainly when you're in a, a very intimate personal relationship with your significant other, because that relationship tends to, in my opinion, people tend to get a little comfortable, let their guard down, take each other for granted. But at the same time, you have a high expectation of the other person, but meanwhile, you're not living up to what you expect from them. So that's kind of how I look at uh, anger and uh, and lust, I guess. Mm -hmm. And uh, so uh, this takes us to flag number five. And um, this is one where you meet somebody who may not have a whole lot going on in their life. Uh, Ken, do you have some thoughts on, on what that might look like? You know, I, I, I've dated too many women, Speedway. I, I don't know. It seems like I have a story to <laughs> tell every time. another woman? I got a, this is another woman. I dated a, a very nice woman, very physically attractive, very nice human being, but there were some signs. She just wasn't, you know, she didn't, her character, she didn't really uh, care about her work. I would call her up, and what you doing? Oh, I'm not doing anything. I'm just killing time. And I said to myself, well, gee whiz, you know, you're getting paid a salary, and you're not doing anything, um, you know, and it got to a point where it's sort of like, well, you made me this, you didn't make me that, you didn't make me happy, you know, you make me sad, and I'm like, well, and, and to be fair to everyone, I wasn't making her sad, what she was saying was that she wanted me to take the lead all the time insofar as her happiness, and I felt like, well, gee whiz, you know, I think if you're in a relationship with someone, it's your responsibility to be happy and it's their responsibility to be happy, and you both should come together and be happy together. If you're in a relationship with someone and they're expecting you to make them happy, they're sort of like putting that burden on your back, and that's a monkey you don't want on your back. I think it's very important that you don't have someone who is dependent on you for their 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 existence and, and their world. They need to have their own life, and you need to have your own life. It's very important that you have separate interests that you share and common interests that you also share. So that's that's kind of how I got uh, got away from her. <laughs> well, I have to agree with that. Um, I remember once I dated a man who um, he was, uh, I think he, he did uh, IT support for his company, so he'd fly around the company, fly around the country, um, helping clients with the company when they had technical problems. And it was a funny thing because there were times when there wasn't a whole lot going on, or it seemed like there wasn't, and he would be at home playing video games. And uh, so this guy was, you know, in his late 40s, and I remember thinking, okay, so he's playing video games? <laughs> and I just could not wrap my head around that. And so for me, what I came to realize was it's not so much that he had to be, you know, it wasn't so much that he had to be wealthy or he had to be a workaholic or anything like that. It was just the fact that, you know, when when you are married to, or at least you love your career, and uh, you take it pretty seriously, you know, sometimes when, when you meet that person who's, who doesn't seem to have a whole lot going on, it's not that it's a bad thing for them and it doesn't make them a bad person. It's just that you may not have a whole lot in common because what I didn't want is I, I never wanted to come home and have him sitting there waiting for me to be his entertainment because I'm thinking, well... I got my own stuff that I want to do. 
And uh, so with that, let's see, I've got a, a fun little clip that I found here. And uh, it, it kind of highlights the point that, you know, sometimes a red flag doesn't have to be this great big behemoth of a thing. It doesn't have to be, you know, something catastrophic. It could just be that maybe you're just too different. Wait, stop. What are you doing? I never should have come up here. Well, where are you going to go? I don't know. Maybe I'll go to my mom's. I mean, this, this was such a colossal mistake. Can I beg to differ? Because no, I... no, Jack, you can't. Look, was it something Justin said? No, Jack, Jack, you don't understand. A, a, a month ago, I was married. Okay, now, I may be kissing you, but I'm still thinking about Robert. We don't have to move this fast, Kitty. We can slow things down. You know what? That's very sweet of you, but it's not going to make any difference. This is never going to work. We live completely different lives. I mean, you live up here, and you, and you hike, and you take very long walks in the woods. Okay, there's more to me than that, Kitty. Well, you know what? There's a lot more to me than this. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, but I really do need to go home. Uh, that takes us to flag number six. Um, you are perhaps involved or looking to be involved with someone who just left their last relationship. And, um, you know, for, for I, I think, a lot of people uh, in, in adulthood, especially, you know, past their 30s and 40s, um, this might be more common because um, oftentimes you're meeting someone who has been in another perhaps serious relationship or whether it was a, a marriage or whether it was a relationship that lasted a while. And, um, you know, my personal preference is that if he's been, if he's divorced, if he's been divorced for less than a year, then I'm, I'm really wary because what I find is that sometimes when people are in that situation where they're coming out of a serious relationship, they're still going through um, sometimes the ups and downs and the roller coaster of trying to go back, trying to make it work, and then it doesn't work, and then they run away from each other, and then they forget what they didn't like about each other, and then they try it again. And so, if you're if you're involved with someone who just came out of their last relationship, then you're along for the roller coaster ride because then you know he's leaving you, now he's back, now he's leaving you again, and 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 you really have no right of priority over whoever the last, the, you know, the spouse or, or, or the, the girlfriend or the, the boyfriend who was there before you. And um, the, other, the other thing, and this is um, something that I, I had a friend of mine who warned me about, is that um, sometimes, you know, especially with men, and can you tell me what you think about this and whether you think it's true, had a friend of mine who said to me, the reason you should keep away from men who are just coming out of the divorce is because they are broken. And they tend to be, you know, divorce makes a man feel like maybe he's less than a man. And what he really needs is someone, a woman who's going to be nurturing and loving, who's going to kind of nurse him back to health and remind him that he's still a man. And, um, but once he gets well, He's going to leave and go find, you know, a woman who is his type who may actually abuse him more than you ever did, but you weren't really his type. You were just the woman that, that he needed to kind of get him back to health. Ken, do you think that's true? I, I think, you know, I definitely think that, you know, since most divorces, for example, or any relationship typically, well, I'll speak about divorces because I know that's true, most divorces are initiated by women. And a lot of times men are caught by surprise when their wife wants a divorce. So that definitely can be an ego uh, hit if you're not um, seeing, if you don't see it coming. So I can see a situation where uh, a guy then goes out to meet someone who's going to basically stroke his ego a little bit. Um, you know, I don't know if it happens in all cases. I mean, I would say to anyone, man or woman, that you definitely would want to be aware of how how long it's been since the person uh, was divorced or separated because I think there is a natural process, uh, the time frame by which people need to heal from a relationship. When you've been with someone for a long period of time, there's a certain familiarity that you have with that situation and it just disrupts your entire lifestyle. So naturally you're going to be off balance and you're going to want to find someone to, to, to be there to, to cuddle and nurture and kind of make you feel good about, help you make you, yourself feel good about yourself. I mean, one of the things I did, you know, was when I got divorced, going to my divorce, I went to a therapist because I thought it would be helpful and it was the smartest thing I ever did. 
I mean, I was able to talk to him about anything I wanted. And I tell you, I actually came out of it better than I went in. It was just an amazing experience. But I, I definitely think that a man or a woman should think twice about getting involved with someone who is either recently divorced or in the process of divorcing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, therapy is a, is a really good point that you made because I remember um, when I was separated, my husband and I went to uh, counseling for a couple of months. And then post-marriage, uh, I went to the same counselor and um, I did find that to be incredibly helpful. And I remember one of the things that I heard from um, counselors who dealt with, you know, particularly divorce situations or separation situations or long-term relationship breakups was that they always said, do not, do not, do not get into another relationship because you're going to be so tempted to do it. And you're not in the right frame of mind to get into a healthy Relationship, And so, you know, personally, when I look back at, at my relationships, I find, and there haven't been that many, but I do find that, you know, the worst one that I had was closest to my divorce. And um, maybe, that's a, maybe that's an indication that uh, you kind of attract somebody who is consistent with where you are. So if you're kind of broken and, ugh, you know, you find somebody else who's broken and, ugh, and then you're broken and ugh, together. And... Um, it doesn't necessarily make for a really good long-term kind of relationship. So other red flags. Um, I'm thinking that, uh, you know, as a man, Ken, you've probably met women who may have just some personality-type tendencies that you would say, boy, you know, this would be a really big red flag for me. Well, I mean, one of the personality uh, uh, types that I've met, and I think I kind of touched on it before, is uh, was the anger. That that seems to be the common thing for me uh, when I've met people. I just felt that they were harboring some type of resentment. And also another red flag is when they talk about their ex uh, in a negative way. I always say to myself, if she's talking, and this kind of ties into the anger, if she's talking negatively about her ex, and I'm saying to myself, what is she going to say about me? <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I, I just think that you know, everyone who's been in any type of long-term relationship can easily find things about the partner, their former partner, that's bad. But there's a reason why you're in the relationship, so there there must have been some good things about the person. So I just find that when you're talking about someone else in a negative light. You're not giving the, you know, to me it's not it's not the right thing to do, and you're not really giving the person an opportunity to sort of rebut. So that's definitely a red flag when someone's telling me their ex did this, their ex did that, he was no good, blah 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 blah. That's you know, I don't want to hear that because I know I'm next. You know, because you know, unless you're marrying someone, you're going to be with that person for for life. You're, I guarantee you, when you're not with that person, she'll be talking about you. Well, and you know, sometimes even if you are married to them, you hear this sometimes from married couples where. You know, they say stuff about their spouses. Even when the spouse is there, that you're sitting there going, boy, I sure don't uh, think that was, you know, necessarily, that wasn't a positive thing to say about your spouse, even if it's true. Because um, not all truths need to be spoken, right? Um, I wonder, you know, for me, uh, one of the things that um, I, I hear from men in particular is manipulative women. So she is. Uh, you know, she maybe uh, may use sex as a tool, and uh, so when you you know you get it when she's getting when she's happy, and um, you don't get it when she is mad, and not only that, but she's constantly tying it to uh, negotiating for the things that she wants from you, and that's not the same thing as not having sex because you just had a fight. Nobody feels like it, but. It's more the idea that, you know, she treats me like I'm a dog and I have to perform tricks in order to get treats. And so it's, it's, there's a very manipulative sort of component to it. Ken, do you think that's true? Well, I think, you know, definitely I don't think it's true in all women. I think there are, you know, there are circumstances when both men and women can be manipulative. But, you know, one of the things, years ago I took a, I went to a couple's uh, weekend in uh, Florida with my my wife at the time. 
And what they did was they had the uh, love busters and um, the love deposits, and they talked about needs. And one of the things they talked about, and they said, they said this is not necessarily true for all women, but they said this is, for the most part, it's very common that women have this number one need. And the number one need they, they said women had was the need for security, to feel secure in a relationship. And I think oftentimes when you have, uh, a, let's say I'll speak from a man's perspective, a woman who may be manipulating a situation, it may have to do with her desire to have a sense of control, a feeling of control emotionally in a relationship, because if she can control the outcome, she knows what it is. But if she's in a situation where she doesn't know what's going to happen, she may feel uh, uh, disease, uh, uh, you know, she may feel uncomfortable in that situation. So... You know, that could be why some women manipulate their spouses or their boyfriends because they want to have a sense of control. Perhaps they feel um, you know, they have a self-esteem issue. But it, I find that from my experience, that was one of the reasons why some of the women I've dealt with were manipulating me because they needed to have okay. control. Yeah. Well, um, and, you know, speaking of control... We're going to play you a clip. This is a reenactment of the story of Samson and Delilah. Delilah was Samson's second wife. And um, the the story was that Delilah was paid by the Philistines to figure out what it was that made Samson so strong. And uh, so she, she tried to wheedle it out of him, which you would have thought he'd have figured out because, you know, here's another Philistine woman. And secondly... You know, she's behaving exactly the way the first wife acted uh, when she wanted information, when she wanted to know a secret. And uh, so here she is now. Where does that come from, Samson? By God's strength, it comes from within. What would someone have to do to make you powerless from now on? To make you weak like other men. Yes. What? <laughs> <laughs> if I told you, you wouldn't believe me. Oh, I love you. <laughs> audio wasn't that great, but anyway, what you what you heard was um, she was saying, I, what would someone have to do to have you powerless in her arms? And uh, he lies to her and he says, you know, if you if you if my hair was tied with seven new bowstrings, then I would lose all my power. And she does that, and um, she ties him up and she says, hey, Samson, the Philistines are here, and he breaks the bowstrings. And this goes on a couple of times, which, you know, kind of made me wonder why on earth did he finally tell her. So he finally told her that the the power that he had lay in his hair. And so she cuts the hair, he loses his power, he gets captured, you know, it's a sad day and like a day. But, you know, I personally thought, well, you know, you kind of thought, you should have seen that one coming. So the question is, why then do we stay in situations when... We can see the red flags, and uh, you know this is not this is not the same question as why do you stay if you don't know, or why do you stay if you kind of saw something waving in the wind and you weren't entirely sure what it was? Because sometimes that happens too, and sometimes um, you are either lied to or manipulated into not seeing because the other person intentionally conceals certain things, and maybe you never find out or you don't find out until after you've made a lifelong commitment and, and then it's kind of late. But um, for those situations where you see the red flag, right? So he broke your nose when you were engaged and now 27 years later he's been beating you for 27 years. Why do you? Why did you stay after he broke the nose? And um, I, I, I did do some looking and researching for, you know, why, why do people stay in? relationships that they know are not healthy for them. And one of the reasons was fear. And um, it's the fear of being alone. It's the fear of, it's the fear that there might be nothing better out there. 
Um, it's the fear of wondering, you know, who else is going to want me? Um, Ken, are there other things that, that jump out at you about the issue, the whole topic of fear? Well, I mean, uh, yeah, fear is, is is absolutely, you know, a major, it gets back to, uh, you know, self-esteem, it gets back to, um, you know, feeling that there's no one else out there. I mean, when you when you finally date and you meet someone and they have a lot of the core characteristics that you're looking for, but then things start to pop up and you start saying to yourself, okay, this is not going as I, I, as I thought, then you say to yourself, okay, I'll put up with it because, number one, it took me so long to find this person. And number two, I don't know if I'll meet another person out there like that. So, you know, meaning who has the core qualities you're looking for. So, you know, it's sort of like, do I want to date? Do I want to start over again? Do I want to go through this process? I mean, dating is, is full of anxiety. you got to meet people. You can't relax. You know, it's not a natural uh, uh, event, in my opinion. So, I, yeah, I definitely feel that, you know, fear of not finding someone or, or taking years or months or whatever to find another person is a real reason as to why someone may want to stay in a relationship because it's it's comfortable, you have a routine. And, you know, for, and, unless it's bad all the time, it's probably not bad that often. So the, the issue is how bad it is when it is bad, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So that that's kind of, you know, I was in a, in a situation recently where I was with someone and we had pretty much a great relationship. She was very smart. We had fun together, but she just had some habits that I was starting to have a problem with. And, you know, we broke up a couple of times, and I started thinking to myself, well, gee whiz, am I going to meet somebody as smart as she is? Am I going to meet someone who is fun as she is? Do I really want to go out there and start this process all over again? When I have her, maybe we can just work it out. And, uh, you know, we spoke about it, and she kind of, you know, getting back to a former red flag, she sort of, like, rationalized her behavior and and that's another sign when people start rationalizing their bad behavior or inappropriate behavior that's a that's a big time red flag Mm -hmm. well and you know it it gets back to the original premise of the show which is that people don't change that much and I, i i think that sometimes we stay because when we get further away from the relationship it doesn't seem as bad, and especially against the potential of having to start dating again or being out there by yourself without that person, even though they might have, they might not have been, you know, the best person for you. And um, so I think that's one of the things that that really get in the way, which is, and you you touched on this, which is, I don't want to have to start over. I already have this person, and by the way, anybody you are with, there's some really good things about that person that you like, right? And so it's not just that there's nothing but red flags everywhere and they're just this bad person. You might have a really good emotional connection, or you might have children um, that you feel like, boy, you know, we got kids together, and it would be really good if we stayed for the kids. Um, And, you know, a common one for, for women in particular is, I love him, and he will change for me. And um, I I got this quote from the Four Agreements, and I've been guilty of this. And uh, I don't know a lot of people who haven't, but a friend of mine loaned me this book called The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. And here's what he says about that. It says, um, maybe you need to stop lying to yourself about what you truly want. Often when you go into a relationship with someone you like, you have to justify why you like that person. You only see what you want to see and you deny there are things you don't like about that person. You lie to yourself just to make yourself right. Then you make assumptions, and one of the assumptions is, my love will change this person. But this is not true. Your love will not change anybody. If others change, it's because they want to change, not because you can change them. Then something happens between the two of you, and you get hurt. Suddenly, you see what you didn't want to see before, only now it's amplified by your emotional poison. Now you have to justify your emotional uh, pain and blame them for your choices. So when he said that, I thought, well, he is just talking to me. And um, when was he in my life to have seen that? Because, you know, I've, I've definitely gone down that road, and I know a lot of people who have. And... Um, so now we're going to spend the last part of the show just talking about, you know, um, how you identify those red flags and what you do for them, what you do about them. 
And uh, I think the first thing that uh, you and I talked about, Ken, when we were thinking through uh, the show was setting your criteria. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, you know, I, I absolutely think that you, a person should get a piece of paper and a pencil and write down what they're looking for. And obviously it hasn't worked 100% with me, but in a way it has because in the course of dating all the different women I've dated since my divorce, and just to give some perspective, I've been divorced about five years, and during that five-year period I've dated women, but I've, I had one serious relationship with, which lasted about two years. But for me, I'll tell you my criteria, I, I look for honesty, loyalty, trustworthiness, a giving personality and emotional maturity and when I what I mean by that is the ability to deal with issues in a way that doesn't drop to that lower instinctive level of anger and, and resentment and to me I think that's the the core qualities I look for in a person the other qualities are more related to what my likes and dislikes there's certain things that are deal breakers for me for example I'm not a big partier I'm not a person that goes to clubs or anything like that so if I meet someone who is into the whole party scene that's going to be conflict so that's one of the things that I look for when I'm uh, looking for a compatible partner you know do we have things in common I like outdoor sports bike riding I like cross-country skiing so you know when you find someone who has those core qualities I mentioned before honesty loyalty trustworthiness giving personality and emotional maturity then you want to find some things that you have in common. And, you know, also, if your plan is to get married or be in a committed relationship, I think it's important to have a sense of where uh, she is in ter- insofar as financial um, obligations and how you're going to handle certain things. I mean, basically, all the day-to-day things that a person would deal with in a relationship, once you know that this is something you want to take to the next level, I think there has to be a conversation that discusses these issues. And the, and the thing is, during that process, you're going to determine whether or not this person is someone who is capable of discussing intelligently how she wants to proceed in a relationship. A lot of people give lip service to, oh, yeah, I know how to work on a relationship. I want to work on a relationship. But when you, when you put the, the, the pedal to the metal, they don't want to do the work. And you really have to do work to make a relationship work. Being in a intimate personal relationship is probably the most unnatural relationship that a a human being can be in. It's not like with your children or your parents. It's not like with your coworkers at work. There's a higher expectation at the same time. I think people tend to to become comfortable. So we expect a lot from our partners, but at the same time, we drop our guard. So you, you have a conflict right there. So you really have to make an effort to maintain that higher creative place that you were at the beginning of the relationship, but after you get familiar with each other, and that requires effort. That's not something that's going to happen automatically. Well, and so, you know, you talk about not only setting your criteria, but really then taking the time to really assess who this person is. And if I were to add one uh, additional one to that one, a number three is um, don't have sex yet, at least. And um, wait, because I, I think that sometimes what happens is sex truncates the getting-to-know-you process because you form this emotional bond before you really know who this person is. And, and then, to, you know, to the point of the author of The Four Agreements, now you're invested in really liking and wanting to be with this person. And so maybe you end up truncating that, that whole sort of critical process of getting to really know somebody. And um, if I were to to put in a a number, uh, maybe this is number four then, would be, you know, tell your friends about this person. Tell your family. If if you have the kind of family where you can talk about whoever you're dating and listen to what they say, because what I find is, you know, I've got some really close girlfriends. I'm blessed to have, you know, probably I'd say three best friends, and um, whereas a lot of people just have one if that. But, um, you know, I, I, I talk to my bestest best friends about the, the men in my life, and, and if uh, it gets to the point where there's a meeting, I, I ask them, so what do you think? Because sometimes your family and your friends who are invested in nothing but your happiness um, will see things that you choose not to see, or maybe they'll confirm things that you saw and don't really want to admit. 
And um, so that's and it, it's a hard one because once you've made up your mind to to get married, especially or to make that, you know, some really long term commitment, it's 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 undesirable to hear somebody say anything that would be different from what you want to hear. And that takes us to our next point, which is counseling. Um, you talked, Ken, a little bit about counseling a little bit uh, earlier. So what do you think about this idea of counseling, particularly premarital counseling? Well, I, I honestly, uh, this is an area which I think to me shows how serious a couple is. If you're serious about doing counseling prior to marriage, for example, I really think you have to make an effort to develop that, I'm going to call it rhythm, but it's sort of like a, a way you guys do things because it's very important to establish what the boundaries are, what he's going to want, what she's going to want, and work through that. And believe it or not, there's a lot of good um, counseling out there that you can do that. There's programs. I went to one, which was very good. It didn't work for me because at the time my marriage was pretty much, it, we went too far. I honestly think if I had done that before I got married, I'd still be married. And that's, I, mean, I don't know if I can mention it, but um, mm-hmm. it's, um, you know, I, I definitely believe that counseling should occur prior, but not just the pre-cana, if you're Catholic type of counseling. I'm talking about where you literally have books and you have to do homework. It sounds corny, but it really, you know, we were. I learned a lot about relationships, about love busters and his needs and her needs, and and uh, how to to make your your partner feel good in, in a relationship and what. And she learned a lot about what guys typically want. So I definitely think there is a whole set of skills that a person can learn. It sounds a little artificial and convoluted, but really. It isn't. It really is, and it's like it opened my eyes. So now what helped me with that was now when I look for people, I know what I need to do as a man in a relationship and what I expect from my partner. And I don't specifically talk about it, but I definitely think counseling is best prior to the marriage. Once you're in the marriage and and, and have problems, I I really can't speak too much on that because I didn't do do counseling, Uh, you know, but I I definitely think before is the best way to go. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd say number six, um, use your secret weapon. And um, so, and I think you know this show is all about using your life manual. And I truly believe um, that you know if you ask God for guidance, you'll get it. You know, um, in the in, in the Bible, for those who read it, it says, "Ask and you shall receive; seek and you fi- you shall find." And I can say from personal experience that there have been times when I saw some red flags in a relationship and I had no idea what they meant. And I sat down in my daily meditation with the Lord, you know, my father, my divine mother, and I said, you know, I see this thing, I don't know what it is. Will you tell me the truth about this person? And I waited. And um, I would say the past, you know, two significant relationships I have had, I asked for the truth and I got the truth. And um, part of it is, you know, when you get it, you've got to know what to do with it, right? So you don't just, if, if the truth is not what you wanted to hear, then you still have to be able to take it and act on it appropriately as opposed to just ignoring it. The other thing that um, you could do while you're asking is also take your own initiative, and there, it might be an appropriate situation to conduct some background checks. If, you've, if you're seeing you know, flags around maybe familial situations or you suspect there might be some criminal activity or some, you know, some things in his past that, that that might be appropriate for, then maybe you should do that research. And the last thing um, I would say, you know, eight and nine would be, and, and this is something you said I thought was really eloquent, so I want you to talk to this, but you said to me, you know, you can change your circumstance or change yourself. Talk to us about, we probably have about a minute left, so talk to us quickly about what that means. Well, I think the mistake that people make in relationships is trying to change their partner. You have to ask yourself, am I willing to put up with whatever it is that I'm not happy with or whatever it is I have to do to make it better? And you really have to sit down and think about what I need to do to make this thing work. It is very unfair and really, I think, disrespectful to try to change another adult. The only adult you should try to change is yourself. Once you change yourself, 
that will show your your partner will see that and say, hey, this person is changing. And a lot of times people follow that lead, and then they start to adapt to your change in behavior. But to try to tell an adult, especially speaking to them and saying you need to do X, Y, and Z, it's, it's offensive. Most people get defensive, and they're put off by that. Uh, so I think the best way to show quickly two things the best way to show love is to, to change yourself and also no matter what the situation always be kind gentle and caring toward your partner to me if you do those two things consistently and you pick a person who has the, a great core personality you might have a great shot of having a very successful relationship thank you ken and that brings us to the end of our show Thank you for joining us, and join us next week when our topic will be relationship versus career. Can they coexist? And until then, this is B.U.S. saying go in peace and um, serve your fellow man. Thank you for joining us on the Speedway Show. Until next time, live well, live fully, and love deeply.